Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're actually here in Taipei, Taiwan. And uh, later on today, we'll actually be heading to Taichung, which is uh, about an hour away with the high-speed rail. Then we're heading south to Tainan, then to the east of uh, Taiwan, and then making a big circle around the island. And uh, I'll be uh, documenting a trip with a lot of pictures, videos, and blog posts. So make sure you tune in to daddyblogger.com to get all of those updates. And on our show, we still love interviewing fellow entrepreneurs, fellow world travelers, fellow digital nomads, and especially fellow dads. And I get so excited whenever I interview a dad who's as passionate about travel as me, or even more passionate about travel. And we have one on the show here today. Our guest today is joining us from the US. His name is Michael. Ferrer, and he actually was quite extensive in terms of traveling with his daughter, and, uh, and now his daughter is actually a world traveler herself. So it just shows you the power of uh, forming our kids' identities and uh, inspiring them to travel from a very young age. And uh, Michael is quite unique in the sense that he is uh, focused a lot on wilderness-oriented travel. He's actually hiked over 35,000 miles, I repeat, hiked over 35,000 miles and uh, over the last 27 years. So that's basically one and a half times the circumference of third. Mind-blowing, isn't it? And now he's actually uh, driving around in the U.S. Uh, in his Honda Element. And uh, he works online, uh, having several different businesses. So he's a passionate entrepreneur and author, just like me. Uh, so fellow writers, fellow dads, fellow entrepreneurs, so looking forward to learning all about Michael and his work and travel. So Michael, how are you doing over there in the U.S. today? Good, very very good. Thank you for that introduction. You make me sound better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you can never, yeah, I, I can never put your genius into a few sentences. So we look forward to unwrapping and unraveling all of your <laughs> some of your story on this show here today. Okay. Apologies, everyone, if there's any Wi-Fi issues. Life is a digital nomad means you're never gonna have perfect Wi-Fi. So there might be a bit of hiccups and lags, but hey. That's all part of the fun. So Michael, uh, why don't we get to know a little bit of your story? Obviously, it's a, a long and lengthy one with a lot of uh, passion and experience, uh, but uh, why don't you summarize it down to about a couple of minutes? Okay. Well, let's see. I'm actually like a quiet introvert, but I love the wilderness. And so um, I grew up in San Diego, uh, which doesn't have much wilderness at all. And so I wasn't very nature connected at all. And then my first career was as an architect. And I had a, my own architecture firm for 12 years in San Diego, which went great, but there wasn't much connection to travel or things of that sort. Uh, my wife and I at the time, we, you know, we, we took a few trips here and there, but nothing real extended. And so it wasn't until we moved up to Bellingham, Washington, uh, the year before our daughter was born, so that was uh, about 27 years from Lake Patton, which is this wonderful forested lake. Um, and that's about a three-mile walk all the way around. And so I started getting into the rhythm. Um, after Valerie was born, I'd carry her in a... In a uh, in a uh, slum around the lake every day, and we'd just be out in the forest, um, you know, going and, and being immersed. And that really was uh, urge to explore and travel. And so um, I, I intentionally chose being a stay-at-home dad to raise Valerie. 
um, my daughter. And so, uh, and, and so from that point, we started going on trips. Um, and, and then without getting into all the rest of it right this moment, I, I, that's, that's what kind of launched me into opening my eyes to more travel and in particular uh, wilderness-oriented trips. Awesome, and uh, I mentioned uh, the wilderness exploration and I uh, sort of you just now, so why do we unpack that? I mean, it's incredible the amount of uh, distance you've covered just through foot alone and hiking alone. Uh, so tell us about, uh, uh, how did you get into it? And then tell us about some of the wilderness exploration you've done so far. Yeah, well, um, so it all started with that hiking around Lake Patton, and that's, that was three miles a day every day. So. You know, when you when you chip away at it in in day hikes every day and do that as a steady um, daily practice, then the miles begin to add up. Um, and so um, and so that was a good initial miles. And then as my daughter went off the college out uh, seven years ago or so or eight years ago, I guess now, um, that's when I started exploring the world more. Um, and so, um, and so I, I, what I have is a, a mix of, of kind of three different modes of travel. One is, as you briefly mentioned, I explore in my specially modified uh, Honda Element, set up as a sort of a solo camper machine that I've explored all throughout the U.S. West uh, for probably about 50% of the time or more of those past seven or eight years. Um, and it's just great. It's four-wheel drive. It's 30 miles to the gallon, believe it or not. Um, you know, plenty of space for me in the back for sleeping if I need to. A kitchen and wash station all there. It's all just a great for getting up in the wilderness and, you know, going up on remote fire roads to get the trailheads and hanging out there and all that kind of thing. So that's travel. Another mode of travel I do quite a bit in, in these recent years is... Um, is to choose a house sit um, that's in a compelling spot. Um, and so I choose house sits not so much by where they are in the city, because um, I don't really gravitate towards tourist areas and you know the usual digital nomad destinations and things of that sort. But instead, I pick wildernesses I want to hike in and then look for small communities nearby where I can use that as a home base. And then I stay there typically for several weeks, uh, if not a couple months or longer, to really deeply connect with whatever is happening there and to pretty comprehensively hike virtually like every trail there is around there. Um, you know, and when, and when it works out to be a wisely chosen spot with fantastic trails, that's just, there's no hesitation or problem getting up in the morning every day to do that. It's, it's a great thing to do. And, and so my time in nature, it's not just enjoyable, but it feeds all aspects of my creativity and well-being. So it's a very important piece to all the entrepreneurial things. Overall, in life so, so it's just an amazing piece of my life I, I think in, in a lot of ways um, and that's why I spend so much time in the wilderness because it's 
firm. Um, so nowadays, I've actually, actually this year, I've picked up the pace, believe it or not. I'm um, going at, you know, in fact, I have a smartphone now in my pocket that tracks my uh, wilderness miles and all that thing. So now it's even easier to see what I'm doing. But now I'm um, doing about 2,000 miles a year, which is even rate. So, so over the next 25 years, I hope to do, you know, 50,000 miles or so. And that's going to be, you know, maybe by then, let's see, I'll be almost up to three times around the earth, I guess. <laughs> but um, even, though, even though I've been doing all those miles and all these wildernesses, I have to say that my impression of it overall is that I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface of what's out there. Uh, and that's even with all that in-depth exploration. So, um, so there's just endless destinations I, that I haven't been to yet. Overseas destinations, I, uh, a good example of my approach is I went to uh, Kyoto um, last year for about three months. And, uh, um, and instead of like locating like right in the downtown of Kyoto where all the busyness and traffic is and everything, instead I located on the northern outskirts of Kyoto in a quiet neighborhood, butted up right up against the mountain trails. So every day I'd go up into the Kyoto system, which is a, a very long and enormous trail system that rings the city around around about three-fourths of it. Um, and so that's where I would get my wilderness miles. And sure, I would plug into, um, you know, the Kyoto sites and cultural, you know, things like the amazing temples and, and things of that too. But that was just part of the mix. It wasn't exclusively what that kind of trip was about. Um, so that's an example. Um, in terms of traveling with my daughter, uh, probably one of the most uh, amazing trips we did was during her gap year of high school. She uh, graduated as valedictorian, which I'm very proud to say. And, uh, um, and after that, um, she chose to do a gap year. And, and uh, so we went to New Zealand for three months. And so the way we did it was um, we, we traveled together the first week. And uh, in New Zealand, and then she went off to do uh, three different uh, woof.org uh, places. So that's WWOF, that's Willing Workers of Farms.org, which is a terrific organization that has worldwide opportunities for young and old people to, to um, plug into organic farms and ranches and things of that sort. And so she did that for about two and a half months while I back packed and explored and hitchhiked and all that kind of thing. And we reunited the last week or so and traveled together that last week to do some things together as well and flew back. So that's an example of where not only is it a kind of a balance of independent and togetherness travel, and of course it's more possible with Herbie obviously um, at that point in time, um, but uh, but that was a nice mix because it also as part of my uh, process and so and just recharge process as an introvert. So by having 
uh, a big piece of the trip on my own as well with total freedom and flexibility that met my needs as well. So, so all in all, that's a really great joint trip that we were able to do to get together in many ways, but yet also not together and uh, joined at the hip kind of way. So, so that, that's an example. And nowadays, so my daughter is one year away from finishing her, her veterinary degree in, uh, at the University of Scotland, which is, so she chose that place again for her love of travel, because that, that's, you know, that was one of the reasons. Um, and she was admitted to several vet schools and she chose that one. Um, and so from that base now, she has, um, as a young woman in graduate school, has, um, has traveled to over 30 countries. As in Europe, it's so much easier to travel uh, in various cases and shorter distances, of course, too, but just easier in terms of cheap flights and all that kind of thing um, there. And so uh, she's really spreading her wings there um, to see and encounter a lot of different places. Um, and that's as I travel too on my own, be, you know, radically, you know, meet somewhere to travel together somewhere. So last year we were in Amsterdam for a little bit and then we were invited by her boyfriend's fan, family to Nepal, which was pretty amazing. Um, we hiked a little bit up in the foothills of the Himalayas, even though that was, it was in the wrong time of year at, so we had torrential rains coming down on us and leeches falling down on the trees on top of us and all sorts of crazy things happening, but it was Um, uh, so that's, that's another example of a, of a trip, you know, again, obviously all feasible in her older years. Now, if she was five year old, years old or something, it wouldn't be the same kind of trip. Um, um, but I, I do have to say that, that, that foundation of building up trip by trip by trip, you know, whether it's taking her across the country for a whole summer with her around 15, uh, we pulled a little fiberglass scamp trailer behind us and went across the country to more regional trips, to the New Zealand trip, to, you know, just all that builds that foundation so that, um, you know, she's now a, a very confident traveler. Um, you know, she often opens my eyes to places that I'm, I haven't learned about too. So it works two ways now, um, which is really fantastic. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. And it's so encouraging and so inspiring to hear the journey uh, from her being a little baby to her growing up as a kid to a teenager. And now she's a young adult, you know, uh, studying overseas and traveled to 30 plus countries. And it's uh, so encouraging to see that healthy father daughter relationship and uh, really uh, forming her identity with this uh, global mindset, yeah. and, you know, obviously serving the world and helping the world and giving back and making a difference. So uh, definitely very encouraging for me as a new dad who has uh, three kids who are much younger, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So definitely building that foundation now. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Michael, I'm curious to know yeah. about um, wilderness travel because this is the area we haven't covered too much on our show. Even though we've had like 440 episodes, we haven't covered this area of travel much. I think most digital nomads, don't go out in the wilderness as much because we need our Wi-Fi. So I think this is a hard part of being a digital nomad. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious to know about uh, some tips 
some advice for people who are wanting to get into wilderness travel. They might be scared because they've never done it and they don't want to be so remote. Maybe they're scared of safety and security. Um, so if they've never done it, maybe you can give us some, um, some kind of foundational tips. Uh, where should they go? How should they prepare? How should they keep it safe and secure? And ultimately, as nomads, how can we find some way to still connect? Because we do need to still work while we're traveling. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm happy to do that. So, um, I, I would have to say that that for someone that if someone has not done much wilderness exploring at all. Um, probably two things to do. And one would be to read up a little bit about just basic safety and, you know, wilderness, you know, survival stuff, um, just so that you have that foundation. Because if you have that knowledge foundation underneath, then you can feel a lot more relaxed when you're out there, um, important thing. And then the other thing I would say is start very small. Um, there's no need to do, you know, massive, backpacking trips or things of that sort. You know, most of my, you know, miles, you know, one and a half times around the earth have all been day hikes, believe it or not. So that's the secret to how I remain connected as a, as a digital nomad is that I still have, you know, whether it's a small rental or an Airbnb or a house sit or whatever, I have to my advantage in whatever way I need to. So um, that's, that's one of the main ways I stay connected. Um, you know, obviously, depending on what country you're in and, uh, you know, and what kind of phone plan you have and stuff, you also can stay connected without having to have a particular house set by, you know, Tevin plan and, you know, things of that sort, which is, there's a lot of technical options out there, um, which can help. Um, so, um, so those are, those are two early things. And so I, I would just say, start small. Um, you know, I started small by doing that three mike around and every day with my daughter. And I, and that was the foundation for many years were just little hikes like that, three miles or maybe four or five miles somewhere else. And just, you know, simple forest areas without, you know, uh, you know, amazing uh, or, 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 you know, extraordinary issues or things to deal with. And confident over time and, and your, your soul and your mind does too. So, um, and then just kind of work up from that. And then occasionally, you know, a well-known longer trail and just, you know, see what that feels like. Um, uh, but, you know, always be prepared for the worst. Now, I, the worst things I've ever had happen is like I've encountered a, a brown bear a couple of times in the U.S. wilderness. Um, both times they ran off. I've uh, had some close rattlesnake encounters. I uh, have never been uh, uh, bitten by a rattlesnake, um, but have been either stepping on a um, or, in fact, <laughs> one time in Arizona, I was stepping on this trail over a rock that was about one foot tall. And I, and like right in the corner of my eyes, as I was going over the rock, I saw something happening. I knew, and I just instinctually like leaped forward 
and now, and it turned out, realized it was a, it was a rattlesnake, a big one, like about five feet long, kind of greenish. And when I came back <laughs> to, uh, to thing to look it up on the internet, it turned out it was a green Mojave rattlesnake, which is one of the most uh, poisonous rattlesnakes in North America. And had it bitten me foot where my shoe landed like literally inches from its head, um, I, I would have, you know, if, and I was like an hour off, I could very easily have, you know, had some various, you know, a, a very serious uh, injury and maybe, have, you know, lost my foot or something. So, so that's the closest. Um, but um, I've also had some amazing uh, close animal encounters. Uh, again, in the desert, I had a desert tortoise that literally came right up to my shoe and leaned up against my shoe as I sat there and just hung out with me for 20 minutes, which is extraordinarily unusual. Um, and I've had deer come up real close to me while I'm them initially they'd be angry and coiled up and I would just calm, calmly hang out with them and they'd settle down and then we'd stay about 10 feet from each other and just hang out for a half hour so you know things like that which really enriched the, the wilderness experience as well so so I just want to add perhaps that in terms of you know if you're a novice hiker and that kind of thing um, you know, make sure you have a great pair of shoes. I recommend, uh, you know, certainly walking with a hiking stick, even if you don't need it to help you feel a little more empowered with something in your hand like that, um, uh, in case you do encounter some kind of... And of course, always carry a good amount of, uh, you know, water and some backup food, uh, even for day hikes, so that if something unfortunate happens, you have a way to to hang in there until help comes. So, you know, it's like that that people can learn about by looking that up either online and books. Um, so that's kind of all the technical side of it. But, um, but you know, it just builds up over time. The, the longest uh, day hike I've done, a lot of the day, or not a lot, some, some of the day hiking I do termed nowadays deep day hiking. So like I'll do maybe 18, 20 miles, like that all in a long day hike and it's really hoofing it i you know i go really pretty fast that way you know about three miles an hour it's almost like a walk run almost um and, and that's kind of the you know the the deepest and fastest i, I go um but um uh, so so that's on the on the spectrum and the other side of the spectrum is just doing very steadily you know three or four mile day hikes. So like today I went out up in the Chucknut Mountains near in Bellingham for about three hours um, and did about um, about nine miles of hiking. So 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 it just it just adds up. Awesome. Some great uh, uh, you know, nuggets of wisdom for us who aren't as uh, uh, experienced. I definitely want to take my kids when uh, they're a little bit older. Hard when they're so uh, tiny wee ones, but I, I look forward to exploring this world uh, through the wilderness and uh, the beauty of God's creation.
Uh, so I'm curious to know all about your entrepreneurial ventures too. We love covering both travel and business on our show. And you've been an entrepreneur for a few decades now, and uh, you've done several different businesses. Uh, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. What kind of businesses have you run? Tell us maybe about some of your successes, your failures, and where has it led you in terms of what you're doing now? And what was the last part? I did the sound cut off. There. I oh, I was just asking, uh, where, where has your entrepreneurial uh, journey led you until now? What are you currently doing? Yes, uh, sorry, I, I know there's a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. Basically, I'm just asking you about your journey. Uh, tell us about your business journey. What kind of uh, entrepreneurial uh, ventures have you done? And then, uh, you know, leading up to today, and what are you currently doing? Right. Okay. Uh, thanks. Um, well, I, my first career was as an architect, and I just want to back up to me. Somehow, when I was a little kid, I had the thought in me already, almost, it seems like, that um, I was going to have multiple, and, you know, back then, I thought of them as careers, in a sense, um, rather than entrepreneurial ventures or things of that sort. And I, and for some reason that was in me. And so, um, and the main reason I think it was in me is because I was extremely curious about the world. And I remain extraordinarily curious about things. So I thought no matter how good any one career was going to go, I, after a while, I'd want to switch it because there's just too many things I want to try to do in my life. And, um, you know, and, you know, it's just a lot I want to do in, in one lifetime. So, so anyways, that was kind of in the background. So my first um, entrepreneurial adventure was, uh, well, I went to architecture school at Cal Poly San Obispo in California, um, graduated from there, and um, immediately went down to San Diego and started my own architecture business, except I specialized in a niche of it, which enabled me to avoid the whole you know, six-year process of apprenticing in an architect's office, you know, drawing bathrooms and closets for a while, and, you know, working up to doing a building and all that kind of thing. I, I chose to specialize in, in, I took a unique approach at, at the time, which was blending the social sciences, which I was very interested in, uh, particularly the new field of environmental psychology that was just starting then, um, and architecture. So I created a consultancy where I would consult and other architects on how to plan buildings based on user needs rather than the typical broad brush, purely aesthetic approach that architects did most of the time back then. So, um, so after banging on doors for six months and not getting much reception um, positively, because here I I was, you know, 22-year-old punk kid, basically, compared to a lot of these older architects. Um, I finally got my big break on a uh, major hospital master plan project, uh, where the in-house architect, who had done most of the models over the years, um, was handed by the board to, to do a master plan, and he didn't know how to do a master plan, and I walked in at just the right time for that. So anyways, that led to, over the next 12 years, uh, numerous medical and civic projects, uh, kind of blending I was doing with the social sciences and architecture lend itself well, really well to big projects. I was doing hospitals, surgery centers. I did some of the first surgery centers in, in the Southwest. 
um, at the time, um, and, and uh, interpatient surgery centers, not not centers, and. Uh, and then we did uh, civic center projects, city halls, public libraries, visitor centers, and things of that sort. So I was in great demand for 12 years doing that, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I noticed around year 11 or so, I was actually starting to get a little bored with it. Um, and also sometimes I was feeling very frustrated by the city bureaucracies who sometimes you know, would start us off on a project and uh, we'd work, you know, put our heart and soul into it for a couple of years and then it turns out the funding evaporated or something ever happened. So that occasionally happened as well, which was frustrating. So uh, with San Diego turning into LA South very quickly at that time, uh, my wife and I at the time decided to move to a smaller town and that was when I made my break away from architecture onto career number two. And so, uh, and that was like 27 years ago um, or so. And so we moved to Bellingham, Washington. And I spent about a year exploring what would be next for me. And uh, I was uh, Valerie, I was about ready to be born. And so I had developed a, um, a project called Video Video that was a prototype that was going to help high school kids and middle school kids do video projects together to learn about things. And the point wasn't about the quality of the video or anything to put together as a team, which I knew a lot about by that time, by all these architectural team things I had done. So um, when my daughter was about ready to be born, and I really hard look at that and realized that I had like a year and a half of intense work still to do on developing that prototype. So, so I let it go. Um, but I realized I had all this knowledge uh, now of about this new world of digital video that was just starting then, um, which has now evolved into what we're doing right now, you know, with, with, you know, Zoom and YouTube and all the kinds of things we have nowadays. So, um, so I decided to write a, a book proposal to, um, about digital and I submitted it. I went to the bookstore and looked around at the publishers that I thought might be good. And I really liked Peach Fit Press and what they, the kinds of books they were putting out. So I sent a proposal to them. Uh, it, was, it was an outline and a sample chapter, all formatted out in a very visual way, since I was a visual person. And it turned out the weekend before they received my proposal in the mail was the weekend of the first multimedia conference in the U.S. in Moscone Center. Mm -hmm. So they came out of that conference and said, oh my gosh, we've got to do something and get some books. Uh, years ago where, where it was just starting. My proposal landed there and, and they accepted it very quickly. And so that it turned into the book, Premier with a Passion, which was um, got to be a very popular book, uh, not only because at first it was the only book for digital video people, but uh, just because uh, um, I wrote it in a very humorous kind of funny, and so it was a popular thing. And so um, here I thought, oh, cool, I'm an author now. You know, cool, I, I wrote this, you know, spent a year raising, being a stay-at-home dad with my da daughter, writing this book. It turned out to be as intense as anything else I did, so I probably didn't save 
Keep going, keep going. As well. Um, and so I decided when my daughter was about three and it was a little less intense each day raising her, that I would, uh, I spent six months developing a CD of visual effects, which were like the kind that were in this floppy little bonus to my book. And, and I, after brainstorming several thousand names, I um, uh, chose the name Video Spice Rack and um, released that as a product to the world as a CD product. And that took off like wildfire. And so with that, I started the company Pixelin Software, which is in like it's, you know, 23rd year or so. Um, and it's a visual effects plug-in company. Uh, if you go to pixelin.com, you get many, many effects over the years that, that I've designed and, and, and my engineer has designed um, that we put together. So, um, so that was the next venture. And so Pixelin went very strong, was a lot of fun for many years. But even with that, I started to get kind of bored a while in more recent years and so I too um, I handed off Pixelin to my longtime engineer and, and colleague uh, who runs it now and I turned attention to digital photography in nature and so and that fit very well with all the hiking I was doing and so I built up a collection of fine art uh, close-up nature photography not of animals and bugs like a lot of people have been doing, but close-ups of biology and geology um, that end up looking like um, fine art abstract paintings in, in a sense. Um, and so those are on my own fear.com website that I have. Um, but anyways, that was the next direction. And then most recently now is I've returned to what I really enjoyed is being a writer. And so now instead of writing, you know, another technical book, like, like, uh, you know, uh, like my the passion book, which was the one that I did uh, years ago for digital video. Now I'm working on a uh, upper middle grade children's novel. Um, and as I complete that, um, I'm also developing a separate entrepreneurial venture that's that's related to it, and that's called the Book Pie. The Book Pie is a revolutionary new way to connect kids and parents and teachers to the very top award-winning children's books. And I have a big data approach to it that's never been done before, and I'm not going to speak to all the details of it yet because we haven't launched yet. But, uh, but the, the people that I have independently previewed it to are very excited about it. And so that'll be coming in the fall. So I spend part of my day working on my own now and part of my day um, working on the book pie and part of my day out in nature hiking. And when I see an expiring, you know, photo opportunity, then that contributes to my nature class right now. Awesome. Uh, definitely uh, inspiring all the work you're doing, especially the kids project and, uh, you know, inspiring kids to read more. Uh, so in closing here, Michael, if people wanted to connect with you, 
find out a lot more about your entrepreneurial pursuits and of course all of the wilderness uh, journeys you've been on. Uh, how can they do that? How can they connect and learn more and uh, ask uh, further? I didn't quite catch your question there. The audio is cutting it out. That's uh, yeah. uh, Michael, just in closing, how can people connect with you if they wanted to find out more information? How can they do that? Uh, I heard in closing and then I didn't hear much more. Oh, yeah, we just wanted your contact <laughs> details. Sorry about the Wi-Fi here. Uh, just wanted your contact details if people wanted to ask you some follow-up questions, Michael. Oh, yeah, okay. I think I, I if I believe you, you asked, because I'm going to cut it and out, uh, contact details so people had follow-up questions. So. My website is michael.com, so that's, I have unusual spelling with my name, and, and so maybe it's in your show notes or whatever, but it's uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and then F-E-E-R-E-R.com, so that's kind of the main hub for everything, and from there you can learn about the book pie, you can learn about my middle grade uh, uh, book that I'm working on, and you can also see galleries of my photography, um, so that, that's kind of the main hub. Alrighty, nice and easy, nice and easy. So I'll have the link below if you're watching this on YouTube. It'll be right uh, in the YouTube description. If you're listening on iTunes, it'll be right in the show notes. So, Michael, I wanted to thank you. You've definitely been very inspiring in terms of your journey as a dad, your journey as an entrepreneur, and of course, all of your travel uh, uh, adventures around the world as well. So thanks for being on the show. It sounds cutting in and out, but I, I, I think you're coming to a close. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I just want to say I enjoyed having the opportunity to speak and, and thank you very much for, for that. Yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, and, yeah, and apologies, uh, you never know when the Wi Fi. May all the dads out there in, uh, um, feel here. inspired. Unfortunately, yeah. the Wi Fi is a little bit uh, choppy, but uh, thanks everyone for tuning into this episode live here from work in Taiwan. We'll catch up with you guys in the next episode. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, leave us a rating and review on iTunes, and uh, we'll catch up with you in the next episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Happy travels.